Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Bald Guy podcast with your host, Jeff Brown, and our guest, Brian Eastman. Welcome, everybody. This is Jeff Brown, better known as the Bald Guy around the nation. Today, we're going to be talking to IRA and 401k expert, Brian Eastman. How you doing, Brian? I'm doing great, Jeff. Good to chat with you. Today, I want to talk about the 401k solo plan. I know that independent contractors and small business owners are really the, give or take, the only people who qualify for it. Would you tell us why? Absolutely, absolutely. What a solo 401k is, is it's a dramatically simplified version of a 401k. You know, and 401ks are employer-sponsored retirement plans. They're, they're set up by a business as a benefit for the employees of the business. Well, what makes a 401k a solo or an owner K or an individual K or one of the other you know similar terms that are used is the fact that it's for an owner-only business. And, and, and what that means is there's no non-owner employees who are eligible to participate in the plan. And it's by eliminating taking care of other people's money that the simplification that makes the solo 401k what it is comes into play. So the, the IRS, it was uh, 2001 was when Congress passed the laws, and it sort of the, inherited a lot of the framework of the old Keogh plans, but they, they, you know, those were real kind of clunky, and, and, and they made some real improvements in 2001 and, and basically created this class of an, of an owner-only 401k. So somebody who's a sole proprietor has an LLC, has a corporation, doesn't so much matter what the business format is, but basically somebody where there are no non-owner employees. Now, you can have independent contractors who are getting 1099 and, and things like that, but, but if, if the threshold is no non-owner employees working more than 1,000 hours a year, which is if somebody's working a whole year, 20 hours a week, you know, we've got you know, clients using employees who have seasonal employees or whatnot, but basically it's that 1,000-hour that threshold. Now, it doesn't have to be just a single individual. Uh, we work with a lot of clients where it's husband and wife, for example, uh, have a business together. The, the owner and their spouse can participate. You just, you just can't have non-owners. Boy, I haven't heard the name Keogh in a long time. Yeah, I still see them from time to time. So clearly they're different than the typical employer-sponsored plan, but are there any other differences in the ones you just outlined? The real key difference is the simplification of the administration. You know, with, with a larger employer plan, the fact that you're managing other people's money brings in a lot of there, – there's testing for fairness and highly compensated employees versus run-of-the-mill employees and making sure everybody's offered participation who's supposed to be. And there's just a lot, of, a lot of overhead that goes along with that, uh, more sophisticated reporting that goes along with running those kinds of plans. Uh, typically, the trustee has to have bonding in place because they're dealing with other people's money. So, so those those extra layers. But otherwise, the solo 401k is largely similar to a larger employer 401k. And of course, the key benefit of 401k style plans is the higher contribution limits that those plans afford. Would you go over those? Certainly, certainly. So it, it is it's slightly different how it's handled in, in the solo 401k, just because typically the nature of the business and how income is derived, but the limits are the same. So for somebody uh, under age 50, the plan maximum is currently uh, $54,000 of total contributions that would be allowed in the 2017 tax year. For somebody age 50 or older, that goes up to $60,000 with a $6,000 catch-up provision. Uh, the way the contributions work is there's there's two flavors. 
there's an employee contribution, and that's up to $18,000 for somebody under age 50, $24,000 for the catch-up for people age 50 and older. And that's the first, say, $18,000 of after payroll tax income that your business generates. There's no proportionality to that. So I have a, a lot of people who might have a day job working for a big corporation, and they have their own business. Maybe they're a part-time real estate agent, for example, uh, and they make a decent amount of money. Well, they can funnel the first 18000 of that into their, their plan if they don't need it to put a roof over their head. So that's the employee piece. Secondarily, there's the employer piece. Now, most of us who've had 401ks with an employer are used to what's called employer matching, where if you're putting money into your plan, the employer puts dollar for dollar or 50 cents per dollar or something, maybe up to a certain threshold, like $10,000 or 3% of your income or some formula like that, where they basically, if you're saving, they incentivize you by matching your savings. And that's great because that's basically... You know, extra free compensation and it's tax deferred into your retirement plan. That's a great return on investment that you're getting from those employer matches. In the self-employment environment, uh, it's not done as a match. It's done as a profit share. And uh, the formula is slightly different. The net result ends up being about the same. But if you're in a, a pass-through tax environment like a sole proprietorship or an LLC, uh, it's what's referred to as 20% of your net business income up to that plan maximum of $54,000. So if you had, oh, shoot, I forget the exact number, but it's roughly $270,000 of net business income, you could max the plan out with employer profit sharing, and you wouldn't even need to make an employee contribution. Uh, but for people who are under that 270000 of income level, somebody makes, you know, 150000 dollars they can do a profit-sharing contribution up to the maximum allowed, and then they can also come along and make an employee contribution and potentially hit that plan maximum of the $54,000. Uh, so you can you use two flexibly. The employer contribution uh, in a W-2 environment, say you had a, an S corporation or a C corporation, you pay yourself a salary as well as dividends. Well, your salary income can be used from which to do profit sharing. And there, instead of the 20% of net business income, it's 25% of your W-2 wages that you pay yourself through the business. So slightly different formula, but it, it typically ends up to the, the same rough numbers. The nice thing about the employer contributions is that they're a little bit more tax efficient because they come ahead of half of the payroll taxes. So you have your your gross income in your business, you sub out your operating expenses, that leaves your net income, and then what's called your net business income is that net income minus 50%, the employer piece of the payroll taxes, like at Medicare, so about 7.6% there. But then the employer gets to put the money into the plan ahead of you as the employee paying the second half of those payroll taxes. So it saves you 7.6 on, on payroll taxes to make employer contributions, whereas the contributions you make as an employee, you're paying the full FICA Medicare, the 15.3, and then ahead of income tax setting the money aside into the plan. So we encourage folks to, to maximize their profit sharing, and then if there's a gap that they want to fill, to use employee contributions for the balance. Now let me interrupt here. So if a company, say somebody had an S-Corp, they made $500,000, and when the smoke cleared, there was 300000 net business income. Mm-hmm. and they were 50 or older, does that mean that th- that company could then put the, the entire 60000 
Yeah. It would depend on how they compensate themselves. Most people in that situation wouldn't pay themselves a $300,000 salary. They might pay themselves something like $100,000 and take $200,000 as a dividend. That dividend is nice in that it's not subject to self-employment taxes, but it's not eligible from which to make profit-sharing contributions. So they would, in that case, say that, you know, of the 300000 say they paid themselves 100 the employer would be able to put in 25 as a 25% profit-sharing match. They'd have to make up the difference in employee contributions if they wanted to. So they would have 24000 plus... How much was the profit share maximum on that scenario? If, if they were a salary, if they were paying themselves a W-2 salary of $100,000, it would be twenty-five, And so you'd, you'd still get your $100,000, but the employer would take an additional twenty-five then and make that as a, as a profit sharing contribution to the retirement. So, that so it becomes a deductible expense to the employer, but it's not taken out of your salary. And that would bring them up to forty-nine, and then... From what source would they make up the 11000 to get up to the 60000 maximum? In that case, they wouldn't. They'd have hit their maximum allowable contribution. They'd have, to, they'd have to pay themselves a bigger salary if they wanted to set more insight into the plan. And that becomes a little bit of a is there a real positive gain to doing so kind of situation because there's advantages to paying yourself a minimum salary that's going to be subject to self-employment taxes and whatnot and taking the balance in dividends. That dividend income in a corporate environment has benefits to it. So that'd be a sit down with your CPA and fine tune and say, hey, is the max contribution worth paying myself a little bit of extra salary or am I better off keeping my salary at this reasonable level and being happy with something slightly less than a maximum contribution to my plan? Now, I had a client CPA recently tell him something that I'd never heard before and I'm going to pass it on to you. And it says that that eleven, he he told his client that eleven thousand dollars could be made up by him using after-tax savings, personal savings. Is that true? That is actually true, and and what that is is it's it's interesting, and it is, there's a very narrow band of people who would qualify to do that and who would benefit from doing that. And um, yeah, what what that's called is it's called the non-deductible contribution. So if you've maxed out your plan, but there's additional room within the plan to make more contribution, you can fill that personally, but you don't get a tax deduction for it. So, so you're basically putting that money in. You're still going to pay income tax on it in the year that it was earned. The growth on that money will be tax deferred. Uh, and you could go along, actually, there's some tricks, some backdoor tricks to converting that to Roth status. And since you've already paid the tax on it, uh, you don't you don't pay tax again to do that. It's a little tricky to, to balance that non-deductible Roth conversion with other tax-deferred money in a plan. But, yeah, you, you can. And, again, it's, it's a narrow band of people who qualify to do that, but it is something that for certain people can be a benefit allowed to get a little bit more money in the plan. And, and you know, where that works for somebody, that, that doesn't really benefit somebody who's already in their 60s uh, and, and making high income, but somebody who's younger and is going to compound the tax-deferred growth on that money over time or have the ability to convert it to Roth and give it a long time to soak in that Roth and create a lot of tax-free money, those non-deductible contributions can they can be beneficial if there's going to be a lot of sheltering that they're going to produce. If it's short-term, it doesn't really accomplish much for you. Well, like I told a 67-year-old guy just the other day, Brian, he can afford to have his wife as a W-2 in his company, and they can afford to do 60000 a apiece 
Roth into the solo 401k he has now. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know what? Four years of doing that gets pretty big pretty fast, Roth. And they yeah. transfer, roll it into a Roth IRA in the year yep. he turns 70 and a half, and he's good. Yeah, I mean, you do that, you know, four, four years of 120, that's, you know, $500,000 that you've created produces tax-free money. Yeah, it costs you a good bit to get it in and, and build it, but half a million dollars of Roth money when you're ready to retire is fantastic. So we're implying heavily here, he says, that the solo can be a Roth. Would you go over the, the difference in inside the, the solo of what's possible with pre-tax and Roth? Sure, yeah. Yeah, so the, the basic concept is is within the solo 401k, you know, the plan itself is a trust, and, and as a participant in that trust, you as the employee, for example, have what's called a participant account. And you can have multiple participant accounts inside one 401k trust. You can have a husband and a wife, as we've already discussed. And any individual can have both a pre-tax account and a post-tax account, a tax-deferred account and a Roth account. So part of that is just how do you how do you build that over time, and there, there are several strategies. We talked about the two flavors of contributions, the employee contributions and the employer contributions. Employee contributions can be made either on a tax-deferred basis, and you get a deduction in the year that you make the contribution, but you're going to pay taxes when you pull it out, or they can be made on a Roth basis. So for somebody over, over age 50, that's $24,000 a year that they can personally directly place into the plan from their business income and do so on a Roth basis. So that's a very aggressive way to create that Roth wealth. And the nice thing about that is a lot of people who have the capacity to do that are income limited of being out of being able to make contributions to a Roth IRA. The beautiful thing about the 401k, whether it's a solo or a larger employer version, is that there's no income limitation on that ability. Uh, so direct contributions to the, the 401k can be made on a Roth basis. So the, the employee contribution, the, the up to $24,000 for somebody under age 50 would be something that they could make directly on a Roth basis. The employer contribution has to be made on a tax-deferred basis. Uh, so the company's going to put it in, it's going to go in tax-deferred, but after it's in the plan, the employee, the participant, can come along and elect to convert that to Roth status. Now, they'll pay taxes uh, then at that point on the money that they've converted, but now that, that builds that to Roth status. And then as I was starting to indicate earlier, money that's been rolled over from a prior plan would have to be rolled over on a tax-deferred basis. Only tax-deferred money can be rolled over inbound to a 401k. But once it's in the plan, just like with the employer contributions, uh, the employee can come along and convert that to Roth status. Now, Brian, is there an age limit to when that occurs when the owner or a sub-account cannot contribute anymore to a solo 401k? Yeah, in a solo 401k, you're going to be done making new contributions at age 70 and a half, assuming you still have your self-employment, your business intact. I mean, the 401k is an employer-sponsored plan. If you retire and shut down your business before you get to 70 and a half, well, you're done making contributions anyway. But if you're still uh, working and having earnings at, at 70 and a half, you're going to be done making new contributions. And that's a little confusing for some people because in a larger employer plan, you can continue to make contributions. The threshold is you have to be less than a 5% owner in the business. So I was working with a 
I'll call her a young lady. The other day, I think she's 73. She's still actively flying as a flight attendant with a major airline and participating in that company's 401k plan at age 73. She can still contribute because she doesn't own the company. But anybody with a solo 401k is going to own more than 5%, so they're going to be above that threshold. So they're locked out of making new contributions after age 70 and a half. Now, what if they turn 70 and a half January 1st? Can they contribute for that entire year? Uh, they can only contribute earnings up to their 70 and a half birthday. So in that in that year in which you turn 70 and a half, you can still make contributions. Say you know, say you turn 70 and a half on June. Well, the income that you had from January through June could be used to make a contribution, but you couldn't contribute based on any income earned after June. So in your example, somebody who turns 70 and a half on January 1st, well, they're not going to have much. They could maybe make a contribution from the earnings that they had on that, well, we'll say January 2nd, because most people don't have earnings on the holiday. But, uh, yeah, they'd be, they'd be pretty limited. Okay. Well, you've knocked it out of the park again, Brian. Thank you so much for all this. Certainly. It's always good to chat. Listeners, thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time out. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Bald Guy Podcast with Jeff Brown and our guest, Brian Eastman.